0: Thank you for listening to WNLA's Sermon of the Week. Visit our website at WNLA.Church for ways to partner with us and to connect with our ministries.
1: Here is this week's sermon.
2: There are a lot of something else's that want to take our attention. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, I know what you're really here for. You want my slideshow, and you want the whole story, <laughs> and my home videos of our, la- of our trip. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This is not going to be that. Uh, I do have a lot of stories, some funny, some not so funny. <laughs> um, I thought I'd share just a couple quick ones to get started, and then I want to get into the Word of God, what the Lord was actually showing me that I'm bringing back to impart to the rest of us here um, but a uh, few, few of my favorite memories from this trip. Uh, now, I don't know, I don't, Sagai's not here, he'll probably be in second service, but Pastor Sagai came with us. Now, Sagai may be one of the greatest human beings I've met in my entire life, um, and uh, if, you don't, if you don't believe that, just sit down with him for a little bit and have a chat. He's, uh, he's awesome. Uh, he was a refugee from Ethiopia, and uh, anyway, all that to say, he came with us. And there was this moment on the trip where uh, we're we're all getting ready to leave. We'd been at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. We had a little bit of free time. Some people were getting ice cream. Other people were being attacked by vendors uh, trying to force us to buy everything. Um, and we're all walking out of the city. Now, if, if you've never been to the city of Jerusalem, and I'm talking the old city, it's a bit of a maze. And it's if you don't know where you're going, it's easy to just be lost. Um but we're, we're walking out, we, we thought everybody was with us, and I realized we don't have Sagai with us. And I'm like, oh no. Uh, and so I'm like, wait, i got to go find Sagai. Now as the leader, I should have known that before. I knew that I the last I had left him, we'd gone into the tomb at the Church of the Holy Sepulcher together, and he said he wanted to spend more time there. So I went, try to find him. Anyway, all that to say... On the top, now believe it or not, you may not know this, there are eight different churches within the Church of the Holy Sepulchre that don't get along all that well. Uh, eight different denominations, it's a bit of a shame, um, but one of those is the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. They actually have a monastery on the roof of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and uh, and sure enough, where do we find Sagai? He was up on the roof of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, eating dinner with the monks! Uh, so he'd found them, and now here's the, here's the funny thing, they only eat three times a week, that's part of the monk's thing, and, and he had gone up on there, and sure enough, they'd invited, he found the one, one of the three times in the week, and, uh, and so, so the guy said, did you not know I had to be about my father's business, and anyway, that's one of my favorite stories, and a um, uh, great one about Tony, uh, maybe, uh, maybe I'll tell on myself, um, if you don't, if you hang out with, when you go on a trip like this, you get serious jet lag, serious tiredness, uh, and you get to know people on a different level. One thing you'll find out about me, if, when I get tired, I can get a little bit silly. I know that's a shock. We're in Jerusalem, um, and uh, I, it, was, it, it was a tall hotel. I think I was a little bitter because everybody else got rooms like on the eighth floor, and I was just one level above the lobby. So, so my son and I... I feel like I shouldn't tell this story all of a sudden. If you're going to judge me, plug your ears, all right? So we get get done with dinner, and we go to get in the elevator, which we could probably have just walked up one flight of stairs. But we get in, and it's about to shut. We hit our floor, and I'm like, I look at Josiah, and I press every single button on top. I'm like, that'll teach the people who, uh." anyway, ha, ha, ha. It's funny until the doors open back up. And a gentleman, he was actually, he's from Africa, uh, he, he gets into the elevator with me and I'm like, oh no. And he goes, who pressed all the floors? <laughs> the door shut and I'm like, it was my son? And I'm trying to, throw, trying to throw him under the bus and anyway, I started shaking my head. I'm like, it's been a long day, I'm so sorry. Uh, anyway, these are more, <sighs> I'm telling you this because I've sinned in Jerusalem and you'll have to forgive me, but not so much as Tony, who uh, almost got arrested by the police for bringing a knife to the Temple Mount, we'll talk about that later. Um, Anyway, this isn't a a full trip report, so let's move beyond the stories. I want to (laughs) share what the Lord showed me and spoke to me about, and what I believe will benefit. Um, Today, uh, I want to share something, um, a lesson that the Lord just kept showing me. And so the message today is called Compound Division. The powerful effects of a divided heart. Compound division. Now you might have heard the term compound interest, right? Uh, We've been doing a finance class with some of the youth. Compound interest is a pretty amazing principle. Um, And and, and essentially, if you put aside $2,000 a year for 10 years um, and, and then just let it gain interest if the same person waits 20 more years and then starts and puts way more money in than you, you still earn way more money. Because compound interest is where your money actually starts working for you. You put in a certain amount and you're done, and now the interest compounds over and over to to where all of a sudden, boom, you don't have to do anything, it's working for you. That's compound interest. But one of the things the Lord was showing me is a divided heart creates compound division and some serious problems. And, and, and the real issue is, it, yeah, it causes problems in your life, but it compounds down on the generations that follow. If we live a divided heart, it, it dramatically affects the people that, that follow us, the people we're around. Yes, your children and their children, because there's, there's this principle of compound division that I want to talk about. So let's start here. Um, to this day, King David, now, if you, if you don't know your scripture, King David, well, he was actually the second king of Israel, but he's still considered like the gold standard. Uh, to this day uh, in Israel, like, oh, we want, we want, we want, like the glory days, King David, he's everywhere, there's the city of David, there's, the, he's on the money, it's the star of David, and, and it's all, this is, this is the excitement thing. David is a big deal, and it's not a bad thing, he was a good guy. Well, he did some pretty dumb stuff, but he was still a good guy, and he had, the reason was is because he had a heart undivided towards the Lord, a whole heart towards the Lord, but he was actually not, by any stretch of the imagination, the greatest king Israel had. That honor actually goes to his son, Solomon. Solomon. If you want to talk about the golden dynasty, the golden era of Israel, the kingdom of Israel's history, you, I mean, David was awesome, but you have to look at, you have to look at Solomon. By, by today's standards, Solomon, I, I've read, would be considered the richest human to ever walk the planet. He had peace in every, every border. In fact, the, the equivalent he was being paid by other kings that didn't want to fight him, $40 billion a year, if you brought it into today's standards. This was was the height of Israel's prosperity. The kingdom of, when Solomon, when Solomon wrote, the queen of Sheba came all the way from Ethiopia, and, and she was in awe of the way Solomon dressed his servants and set the table. That's how extravagantly amazing Solomon's kingdom was. And yet, you don't go to Israel today and hear a whole lot about Solomon, because while Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, he had an issue with division in his heart. Yeah. He had a divided heart. Now King David, like he had some issues. He uh, he killed one of his best friends and and uh, married his wife and you know all we we could like we could like execute him for some terrible things that he did but what david had that solomon did it what, was every single time he he failed he went running back to the throne of god wholeheartedly Amen. he never divided and here's the good news for you because in this room online whoever's listening to this we could list some ways you've majorly failed But if you will have a whole heart that completely goes to the Lord every single time, oh God, I'm so sorry. There's a legacy that you can pass down. A profound wholeness that you can pass down. Solomon had everything he could ever want. Everything his heart's desired. And yet, he let his heart be divided. And as a result, it compounded division. His legacy was literally one of division that compounded down to almost every generation that followed in Israel. We're going to look at him for just a minute, because we, we went to several places, and the Lord kept, kept highlighting this. So we're going to start here in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1-10. through It says this, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, besides Pharaoh's daughter. He married Pharaoh's daughter, actually. He married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed his people, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to other gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. I want to press pause right there. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. This was the gift. The Lord said I'll give you anything you want, and he said, I just want wisdom to rule, rule people well. And God said, I will give you wisdom. And in his wisdom, he was so wise that he thought, this won't affect me. Like, In fact, if you, if you look at it on a certain level, he married the king of Egypt's daughter. That's brilliant. What, why is that brilliant? It's wise, because what happens is you marry the king of Egypt's daughter, all of a sudden you've got peace with Egypt. And so he thought it was a wise thing to do. And so he married the king of the Moabites' daughter, the Edomites' daughter. Hey, this is brilliant. And yet, the simple truth is God said, don't do that. Because it'll turn your heart. And in Solomon's brilliance and wisdom, he's like, it won't turn my heart. Well, he had. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age... They turned his heart to worship other gods. Instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been, Solomon worshipped Asherah, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. Now listen to this. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, I want to press pause there. If you ever go over to Israel, that's one place they always take you and you stand on the Mount of Olives and you think about when Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, right? Jesus prayed over there all the time. But one thing you don't understand, you don't think about is what, what Solomon did here on the Mount of Olives. East of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine to Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Moloch, the te- detestable god of the Ammonites. Now, I, I, I want to press pause again there. to to highlight the fact that those shrines to Chemosh and Molech stood there on the the high place, the Mount of Olives, for 300 years. Not one king destroyed it until King Josiah came along. And he finally tore them down. The the shrine to Chemosh, you know how you worship Chemosh? It was a human sacrifice. So, (laughs) I, I bring this up. Because, well, well, the initial, you know what? It's not such a big deal. It's pretty wise to marry the king of Egypt's daughter. I know the Lord says it'll affect. Doesn't it sound like our excuses when we compromise? Well, it won't affect me. I'm better than all of that. Now You don't just get from, from, uh, from, from one small sin to 700 foreign women wives and, and idol worship and, and human sacrifice overnight. You do it one small compromise at a time. One small division in your heart. And when I talk about division, the Lord is looking for, why was David so amazing in God's eyes? He was wholehearted. Yeah, he messed up, but every time he returned wholehearted to the Lord. And this is who he's looking for. He's not looking for perfect people. He's willing to forgive all of your sins if you'll be wholehearted. But what will devastate and destroy is if I will give God 90% of my whole heart and there's another 10%, you know what? This won't affect me. Now, obviously, we're too smart to set up idols in our lives now and trust in other things other than God. But I just want I, I, to... So, it sounds so extreme. 700 wives! A human sacrifice facing the temple of God that he built yeah. on the other mountain, Literally. You can stand there, and you look over at it. It's super impressive. But imagine this. I can stand over at the temple and look at human sacrifice now, too. He didn't intend that when he gave one small compromise. That wasn't his intention. It was, this is okay. This is smart. And yet, the compound division in his life led to some pretty extreme results. And it paid down to his son, to his son's son, To his children, all the way. In fact, that was the very reason when it all came to an end at the end of all things. Israel and Judah, both taken captive. Syria and Babylon. Why? Because they kept worshiping foreign gods. Where did it start? One small compromise. Paid down, compounded, generation after generation. It says this, Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for uh, had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. It's amazing, over and over in Scripture, you think, wow, if I had seen the Lord part the seas, I'd never divide my heart. If I if I if I had seen if I had seen what they saw, if I saw the bread multiplied, I would never divide my heart. Yet time after time, one small division of my heart compounds down. He's looking for whole-hearted people who will worship wholeheartedly, not perfect people, but those who will literally just run to him. God, I'm so sorry. Forgive me for trusting in anything but you. A whole heart. A whole heart. says so Solomon didn't listen to the Lord, Lord, Lord's command. So here's the compounded tragedy here. The Lord was obviously displeased. Um, and, and Solomon didn't actually get the full brunt of the displeasure, but his son sure did. Almost immediately, his son, Rehoboam, listens to the wrong advice. He's afraid of the people, and he, he says a bunch of stupid stuff, and as a result, God raises up another king named Jeroboam, who's not of David's line, who's not of Solomon's line, but he, uh, and then he says to Jeroboam, he's like, Jeroboam, if you'll follow me wholeheartedly, I will ne- you'll never cease to have somebody following in your line. Yeah. And so he gives 10 of the tribes, there's 12 tribes of Israel, 10 of the tribes to Jeroboam in Israel. He keeps two of the tribes in Judah and Jerusalem because he wants to honor the wholeheartedness of David, and he honor that promise. Compounded interest, the kingdom is divided, <laughs> divided, divided. Not only that, there are high places all over the land. One of those places we visited, again, uh, the Lord kept speaking to me about the same thing we went up to, a, it's called Tell Dan. The tribe of Dan was up there. Yeah. Jeroboam. Now, again, well, if the Lord would appear to me and talk to me, I'd never divide my heart. He literally talked to Jeroboam. He spoke to Jeroboam, and he's like, if you'll follow me. Yeah. If you'll serve and follow only me. And yet, almost immediately, Jeroboam gets scared of people. You, you realize not all idolatry is a a shrine that we put up. Those started somewhere else. They start in your fear. They start in your your putting trust elsewhere. He was afraid because he knew that the only way to truly worship God was where? In Israel at the temple. Excuse me, in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not in his territory. And so Jeroboam got got scared. And he's like, these people, at some point, they're going to turn to Rehoboam and they're going to kill me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to build some shrines in a place that was already a high place and there was already weird stuff going on. It had been, it, many of these high places had been put in place by Solomon himself. So he builds, and I, I got a picture of this up here. Those are two different pictures. This is the ancient site of Tel Dan. What did Jeroboam do here? He created, that metal structure there is a, is a model. It's actually a life-size model of what, how big the altar would have been. Now where we are sitting, you see Tony there, Zeb's up there. Up above that, Jeroboam put a giant golden calf. Yep. And in this, he, they would offer sacrifices all the time, smoke rising. And they, here's what he did. He set one there in Dan, way up in the farther northern part of Israel. And then he put one also down in Bethel in the, in the southern part of his kingdom. And he said to all of his people, These are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. He literally had spoken with God. Who gave him a nobody, a kingdom. And said, if you'll just follow me wholeheartedly. And one of the first things he does is divide his heart because of fear. And as a result... The Bible goes on and it talks about people started to worship these golden idols. Now, where else did they find that? He said, these are the ones that brought you out of Egypt. Now, remember, this is what Aaron did way back when Moses was up doing the Ten Commandments thing. Moses is like, hey, here's a calf. Let's worship it. And uh, and so he said, let's worship this. And as a result, the people turned to idolatry. You understand, one little act, the Lord's plan wasn't, wasn't... to have divided, it wasn't, it wasn't for the idolatry. It was one small compromise that compounded down from generation to, and it didn't just affect Solomon's kids or the kings that came after, I mean, it affected the entire nation of Israel and Judah and led to the absolute demise. And as I stand there at, at this place, it just like, how, it, we always think, how on earth could this possibly happen? It happens one small compromise compounded down, when my heart doesn't wholly return to the Lord. The Lord, the Lord disciplines those he loves. That means he, try, he finds you out. And you know it, right? When you sin, like, he, he's like, I know what you did. And you have, a, you have a chance right then and there to say, oh God, forgive me. Or, well, you know what, I did it because of this, this, and this. You know, and it's just a small thing anyway. And you know what, it doesn't affect anybody else. I can divide my heart, even if it's just 2%. A divided heart will compound on the generations that follow you. He's looking for whole hearts. I want to show you another high place that we went to. Uh, This was uh, actually, I think, uh, a couple generations after Jeroboam. A king named Ahab um, and his wife Jezebel. They were quite the pair. I want to tell you how how divided the people's hearts had become. So much so that they had run, run out every prophet of the Lord. And they were serving Baals, and they were, they were, they were serving uh, all sorts of other gods. And Elijah was the only one left. And here we get to go up on, uh, this is uh, up on Mount Carmel. This is overlooking the valley down there. Um, and, and, uh, and actually our guide mentioned something, and he said... Um, it's, a, it's very likely that this was also one of the high places that Solomon set up way back in the day because he set them up all over and they'd set them up on these high hills. And so there we are up on Mount Carmel and again, I'm thinking of Solomon who had it all made and he had a small compromise which ended up in big compromise and huge compounded down to where the entire nation is no longer, they are not even divided their hearts with the Lord anymore. They're serving and following other people. So here we get the big, the big summit against the prophets of Baal. 1 Kings 18, 19-21, says Elijah says this, Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people were completely silent. I I, I guess what, what I'm really trying to get out here is for us to take a serious look at our hearts and ask ourselves this question. Are you wavering between two opinions? Is, 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 God, is Jesus your whole heart? Or are you trusting in a lot of other things? Now, in, in, in an investment portfolio, a trusting in a lot of things is the wise move. But I'm telling you, there's not one investment that will, that will uh, pay off unless it's Jesus. In your life, the, the, more, the more time, effort, and investment you put, the more trust you put into anything else, the less trust you're putting into the Lord. He's looking for the whole heart. He's looking for the whole, the whole enchilada. He's looking for your whole being. And when you live that kind of lifestyle, even if you mess up, there is, a compound, there is a compound amazingness when you will come to Jesus and say, Lord, I give it all to you. It pays down blessings to the following generation. It pays down blessings to those around you, to your community. Wholeheartedness always wins. Of course, Elijah, we, you, you, maybe you know the story, uh, he, he kind of taunts the prophets of Baal, and, and they pray, and they cut themselves, and they dance, they do all these things, but of course nothing happens, because Baal doesn't exist. And then he sets up the altar to the Lord. He, it says he restores it. There had been one up there at some point. He sets 12, 12 stones for each of the tribes, each of the tribes that had gone astray. And he just prays a simple prayer to the Lord and fire comes down, it consumes all the stones, it consumes everything, and that day, all those prophets of Baal were killed in the valley, looking down below, like, wow, there I am. That's my son killing the prophets of Baal right there. So uh, that was one of my fun pictures. I told you I get a little silly when I'm tired. I want to take you to one more high place that we visited, um, and that's Caesarea Philippi that Tony mentioned. This is a high place. Now, this high place still existed at the time of Jesus. It was a pagan fest of every kind of God that you can imagine. Um, I got a a picture of what it would have looked like. This is an artist's rendition. On the far left, you've got a temple to Zeus. um, And and in that temple behind that, there's a cave. And they they would climb up on top of the cliffs there, and they would toss their children into the cave to receive favor to hedge their bets that Zeus would help them and protect them and take care of them. If the, it, it, you saw there's a beautiful river that Tony t- caught, it comes out of that temple. It comes out of a, a well that's in there or a spring that comes up out of the ground. And they, they, they believed that if, if they saw blood coming down the river, that the gods did not accept their sacrifice. Got to do it again, sorry son number two. This is, this is, this is the reality. But if they didn't see any blood, well, the gods must have accepted my, my uh, sacrament. It was called the Gates of Hades. Another temple there, uh, uh, this, is, this is what it looks, you can go to that next picture, sure, we'll go back. That's, that's the cave today that you can, you can look into. Um, it's just a cave. Uh, go back to the, the other picture. You've got, a, you've got a couple things there to the god Pan where we get the word panic, he was the god of the shepherds, and, and, uh, and there's a, there was a whole shrine of goats, where if you were infertile, you could go do atrocious things sexually with, with goats, and this would somehow help you, um, I'm not going to go into details, because you don't need them, and I don't want them, alright, there we go, uh, so Pan, we've got, um, there's one that I just, I had never seen before, right in the middle there, and uh, if you want to put up that picture on the, this one here, this was the court of Nemesis, I didn't even know there was a goddess named Nemesis, but I guess her job was if you would offer her the right, the right sacrifices, you could get revenge on people, and, uh, and also one of her jobs, I want to read it here because I, I did some research, um, the goddess of Nemesis, when, when if, if you were experiencing too much or excessive happiness... Uh, nemesis, her job was to make sure to level out your, your excessive happiness with some more suffering. So you had to make sure she was happy and you had to give her sacrifices. Anyway, all of this to say, atrocious place that, that still existed in Jesus' time. Now, Jesus was in the Galilee with his disciples. They had to really aim to get here. It was, it was a, quite a walk from Caesarea where he lived to get to, excuse me, uh, to Caesarea Philippi. He didn't live, um, Capernaum where they were living. Anyway, he takes his disciples there to this unclean. In fact, the Jews, well, you can't go there. If you go there, you're unclean. It's a terrible place. Jesus goes out of his way to take his crack squad, his, 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 uh, his top 12 disciples, to this terrible, terrible place where pagan worship was going on. It was a high place of sacrifice. It was a high place for years and years. And, uh, and he, sa- he takes them up there to this place. And it says this in Matthew 15 excuse me, 16, verse 13 through 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. Now, I I, I read this, and I imagine those temples and knowing what's going on, I mean, it's, and he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Who are people saying I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still, some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not overcome it. I love this so much. Because what did that hub represent? All of your options. All of your divisions. All of the things. Like, and we, we, don't, we don't do this with other temples anymore. But we hedge our bets in a lot of ways. And what was that place? I can go there and I can hedge my bets with Zeus. I can hedge my bets with, with uh, Nemesis. I can hedge my bets with, with Pan. Maybe one of them will work out. It will pan out for me. And Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter doesn't say, You're you're one of the options. I'm going to give you a try. Peter says, You are the Messiah. The question that I think we need to ask ourselves who do you say Jesus is? Who is he to you? Is he one of your options? Hope for the best. Is He somebody to give part of your heart to? Or is He the person that you go to when times get rough? That's, a, he, that's okay to be that. But He wants to be there with you always in all things. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. The only way to eternal life is through Jesus Christ, the one name, the only name, by, we can, by which we can be saved. Only in Jesus can you pass down a compound legacy of truth and blessing that will change the world. Yeah. Only with a whole heart. Like, David was a messed up dude, but he kept giving his whole heart back to the Lord. And that's what he's looking for. Will you be the person who, like, yeah, if you've messed up, I'm not inviting you to mess up, by the way, but I am saying when you do, when you stumble, will you be the person that throws everything back into the Lord? Lord, forgive me for hedging my bets. Forgive me for going in part way. Forgiving, forgive me for giving 10% of my heart elsewhere. Like, he's looking for spirit, people who will worship in spirit and in truth. He's looking for whole hearts. He's not looking for perfect people. He's not looking for the richest kingdom on planet earth. He's looking for true worshipers. He's looking for people that, like, that's what he wants your whole heart. He's not one of the ways, he's the only way. And I want to say this, like, like I said, we do this in a lot of different ways, but I need to say this very carefully. Religion, without a whole heart, will destroy your life. Religion, if you have a divided heart, it will just make you the biggest jerk on planet earth. Now, one of the things I, and honestly, this is one of the reasons I like to go back to Israel. Like, honestly, I get home and I'm like, our, our land is way more beautiful than theirs. <laughs> I've got beautiful lakes. I've got beautiful green trees. Like, it's an ugly pile. Uh, forgive me. I don't, I don't love the land for what it is. It's been destroyed over the years. And there's piles of rubble on everything. But one of the things I find every time is anxiety yeah. and Stress. And I love going to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is pretty much for, they're pretty sure that's where Jesus was crucified and, and put in the tomb. But I, I love it and I hate it because this is happening the whole time. Like, I waited in the line, you know, with everybody else to go look in the tomb. And, uh, you know, and, and, and as we, oh, they had to shut everything down because, oh, now it's this church, this Orthodox church turned to come and bring the incense and wave it in front of the tomb. Oh, Press pause. Now that they did it, the Catholics got to come too now. Oh, now that, now that, now that the, uh, the, whatever. And so we're standing there after each person. They all waved their incense, and that, that aroma started to sicken me. Because I'm like, oh, this, like we're so divided. Our hearts are so, and, 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 and so, you know, we did our thing and all of that. And, and had, I always get ministered to, because I'm I'm, I bring Jesus with me. And, and I'm actually kind of in a joyful mood by the time I'm leaving, and I'm whistling. I'm whistling on the way out the door, and, uh, which I didn't realize was offensive, I, you know. But somebody, somebody snaps at me, and he says, stop it. Don't you know this is a church? And it hurt my, I mean, it hurt my heart. That, uh, and I realized, yes, I'm trying to be respectful, They're, you know. But, you know, as you see people rubbing their 99-cent their gifts on the stone to get some sort of a blessing, like, that's a divided heart. You don't know who the Savior is. Like, I bring Jesus with me there. I brought him to the Temple Mount. I brought him back to Fern. Like, he stays with me. He's alive. This is why the garden tomb speaks so profoundly to me. The garden tomb was found years later. It's, it's pretty, much not the, pretty much for sure not the place Jesus was uh, buried but they're they're, they're, unapologetic. they're Like it doesn't matter. Jesus is alive, <laughs> and so you go there, and we had communion, and we're like, yes, Jesus. It doesn't matter. Look, you can never go to Israel in your whole life, and that's totally cool, because Jesus is alive in you. He's looking for a whole hearts that will come to him. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. When you bring it to religion in just a form, it's going to destroy your life. But if you will, you will give, your whole, give your whole heart, oh, it will compound blessings upon you and your children and your children's children and the generations around you. It will bless your community. You bring Jesus with you. He's alive. So the question is, who do you say he is? Now, I have a, I have a gift for you today right, I couldn't, go to, I couldn't go to Israel, leave you for two weeks and not bring you something, so I bought you something really expensive, a bookmark. <laughs> uh, on your way out, if you, if you want one of these, it's yours, uh, we'll have people in the back. But I, I got this at the garden tomb, ironically, because I know, you know, this probably isn't, this certainly isn't the tomb that Jesus was put in, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter, he's alive. Will you give him your whole heart today? Here's what I want to do as we, uh, we're just going to conclude in prayer. Tyler, I'm going to have you come. And, uh, and I'm going to dismiss you formally. But I want to invite you to repent and go all in with Jesus again. <laughs> and just say, Lord, I, like, I rededicate my life to you. Every area of my life. It's all yours. And Tyler's going to play. I'm going to pray. you say amen. On your way out, you can grab one of these. But just take a moment here and give him your whole heart. Yes. The areas you've stopped trusting him in, give it back to him. Don't pay the compound interest of division. Don't, don't pay it down. Give the whole heart to Jesus. Will you stand with me? Father, we you're here with us i don't have to go anywhere because you are our ever-present help you are alive and you are quick to forgive your grace is so profound father we ask you for forgiveness for areas we've divided our hearts and lord we give our hearts wholly to you if that's you say amen
0: Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy. Seat.
1: Holy, holy, holy it's the
0: Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. sing praise to to the the King of Kings. kings. You You are are my my everything. everything. I will
2: too late to give your whole heart to Jesus you may have been divided a hundred different ways coming in here but if you will just give it all to Jesus he's he's right back with you this is the side of the cross we live on and a live savior seated on the throne living and active quick to forgive slow to anger abounding in love he's better than you know so get to know him more (laughs) and so the Lord bless you as you walk in his presence, as you quickly run back to him every time you find your heart straying. I'm going to dismiss us officially again. Grab one of these on the way out. If you want to spend some more time, the altars are open. If you just want to spend some time, God bless you. Thanks for coming today.
1: mm We hope you enjoyed
0: this week's sermon. If you have any questions, prayer requests, or if you would like to partner with our ministry, please visit our website at wnla.church.